0: Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Howard, and welcome to the Pure Animal Podcast. On today's episode, we're talking to Dr. Claire Middle about optimising health and managing obesity through nutrition. Since graduating from Murdoch University as a vet, Dr. Claire Middle has always pursued her interest in natural therapies. She gained her certificate of veterinary acupuncture from the International Veterinary Acupuncture Society in 1991. And in 1996, she completed a Breuer Professional Practitioner Diploma in Homeopathy. Claire was the founding president of the Australian Association of Holistic Vets and completed the first veterinary-specific professional course in classical homeopathy. Dr. Middle has also completed Dr. Bruce Ferguson's traditional Chinese veterinary medicine herbology course. In 2004, she decided to sell her practice in East Fremantle in WA and set up her own natural therapy consulting room, where she still works today in Bailing Up, Western Australia. She uses classical homeopathy, herbs, kinesiology, flower essences, and of course, acupuncture. She has published three books on natural diets for pets, which are available from her website, which we will link to in the show notes. Good afternoon, Claire. Thank you so much for joining the Pure Animal podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you today. How are you? Hi, Sarah. I'm very well, thank you. That's great. I'm really excited because we're going to be discussing a topic that we haven't actually really focused on on the podcast before, which is a little strange given how Common a problem it is in our pets, which is obesity. Um, and I know that you have a particular interest in nutrition and, um, of course, alternative and integrative medicine. So I'd really love to hear your angle and your approach on how we might help our uh, vets who are listening and also any pet parents who are listening manage this um, this chronic health issue, which is unfortunately becoming more and more popular. <laughs> um, mm, but before we sure. jump into the main conversation today, I'd love to hear a bit about your background and. What made you decide to become a vet and then, um, you know, end up working in, in integrative medicine and, and focusing on natural therapies?
1: Um, I'm like a lot of vets, I think. That when I was quite young, you know, I decided I want to be a vet, you know, and I remember when I was 11 years old, I saved up my pocket money. And when I had 50 shillings, because that was in the UK, um, I bought a black veterinary <laughs> dictionary. And that was like my Bible. I kept it under oh. the bed, <laughs> so, which is a bit oh, sad. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, so I was determined. <laughs> um, and yeah, you were. I, I, yeah. So I, li- I, I did high school. I did live in Tasmania for a while. And then we moved back to Wales. So I lived in Aberystwyth in Wales. And the closest vet school would have been Aberystwyth. Okay. And they had about a 1% intake of females. Yep. That, that was in the early 1970s. Oh, gosh. Um, and just by chance, um, the, my family moved out again to Perth in Western Australia um, and Murdoch University opened in 1975. You know, so I went. I was in the first lot of vets to go to this brand-new university. Um, oh, wow. It's really
0: special. And being special. in
1: the 1970s, you know, they were very much into, um, you know, teaching in, in, in an integrative um you know, researched, inquiring type manner. You know, instead of rote learning. Mm-hmm. So, yep. so really, the whole Murdoch University experience lent itself to me inquiring beyond. You know, what what I'd been taught, which was useful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, and I remember there was a, a, a vet. I, so I graduated 1979, and in 1981, um, when I'd been in practice for a year or so, um, there was a vet in Brisbane. Um, David Gilchrist, and he, his wife was a female acupuncturist and she just said to him, you know, like you're mad not using acupuncture on some of these animals, you know, in, in the clinic. And he, so he did a human course and he, you know, practiced on these animals and had good results in a lot of cases. So he actually do, just went around each capital city in Australia and said, you know, borrow a greyhound and I'll teach you acupuncture. <laughs> and he actually did a really good job of teaching traditional Chinese medicine and a few... You know, cookbook recipes for different common problems. Um, you know, so where to put the my needle? So that was my first experience because I'd, I I thought the course I did at Murdoch was great, but I could see it just hadn't taught me how to use how, how to treat some conditions. You know, particularly yeah. um crook backs, um, lameness. You know, the pills didn't even didn't always work. Quite a lot of yeah. chronic conditions. You know, so so it, it was yeah. You know, because they taught me to be inquiring. Um I yeah. thought. Yeah, no, they taught me everything. And then, when my kids were little in the nineteen eighties, um, they had conditions. They both had ongoing respiratory infections. Actually, when they were babies, and needed antibiotics. And I thought, you know, don't okay. keep giving these kids antibiotics? No. So, um, I found a herbalist for one of them. And then, and then the second, you know, my uh, my second child, I ended up taking to a homeopath, and honestly, both had been on antibiotics for weeks, and and they just fixed, you know, like homeopathy, particularly yeah. just fixed fixed my son in two days, and I just thought, wow. why didn't they why didn't they teach me this at, at vet school? Um,
0: yeah, that's so
1: right. So so I did a course for doctors and dentists put out by Brower, you know, in South Australia then, because there was nothing for yep. vets. Homeopathy. Um, okay, and, that's
0: interesting. And you know,
1: I always joke that I practiced on my kids. So, um, you know, <laughs> my son had croup one night and I gave him homeopathic aconite and he was fine the next day. And all his kids, all his friends were in the humidity crib in Fremantle Hospital, you know, with a really oh horrible my gosh. croup. Um, wow. And my daughter had an ear infection one night, you know, and the doctor gave me a script for antibiotics. I gave her homeopathic belladonna and she was fine the next morning. I didn't know how to fill the script for antibiotics to get wow. her because she was better it's you know so it's when you see things like that you know that you yeah. realize it you know it can work um yeah so then yeah. when I was confident it was safe to use on my kids I used it on patients animals then
0: so, so yeah.
1: um
0: and then it was in 1991 that you did your formal acupuncture training is that right
1: that's right so I used um yep. the you know the, the weekend course for 10 years and I had a lot of good results and um, so yeah. when the um IVAS course, the International Veterinary Acupuncture Society course first came to um Australia. You know, it was organised in Melbourne by Ulrika Worth and um Carl Muller and um company. So um I I was in the first year um that was held. Yeah, so that so yeah. that was a, a a getting together of a lot of us. So some of the Lecturers that came from America, you know, Alan Schoen and so on. They also used homeopathy and other modalities. You know, so that that was. Uh, and I just thought, oh, there's other vets out there who homeopathy. Yeah, you yeah. found your tribe. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, and and then we, uh, and, and all of us got together too. You know, so there was you know Doug Wilson, Margaret O'Regan, and uh, you know Carissa and a whole pile of us who had been using homeopathy, not knowing, you know, that not they were knowing that you were all there. doing
0: it. Yeah, yeah so it,
1: it was a great it was coming lovely. together. Yeah, yeah, so um. Yeah, and then and then we formed the um, what was called um, the Australian um, Holistic Vets Association, which was a special interest group of the AVA. So Carissa just said, "We're forming groups. <laughs> You're going to be president. <laughs> She'll be secretary treasurer." And I said, "I go right fine." <laughs> so so we did that. Um, wow. Yeah, it's still going. So it's been 25 years. We just had a wow. silver jubilee. Yeah,
0: is that group now the Integrative Vets Australia group?
1: that's right yeah we just yes, the yep. name was changed at just some stage yeah. and and yeah. of course the acupuncture special interest group um is, is a, yep. a you know at a srg of the ava and is still going you know it's one ulrica and, yeah. and company set up
0: isn't that yeah. wonderful wow gosh mm. so you're really a founding member of of all of these health movements in australia that must be <laughs> yeah, so wonderful just, to see how sort of,
1: it, yeah it just happened you know i mean we yeah. didn't sort of sit down and think about it and yeah, just went with the flow, I suppose. But um, I mean, I, I remember thinking back then that I was worried there wouldn't be enough people to carry it on, um, mm. you know, because they were just us at the committee. And it's just so inspiring now to see that it did carry yeah, on. There's a heap more. And the, um, you know, the College of Integrative Vet Therapies does such yeah. fantastic ongoing training for vets and non vets. And it's just, yeah, it's really up and running now, which is. Yeah, yeah, very inspiring. Yeah,
0: I completely agree and I just hope that it Mm. continues to grow and grow um, because it seems Mm. a crime to, you know, hold back these amazing therapies that obviously work so well. Mm. Yeah, and the way I work now, I mean,
1: increasingly I just use natural therapies and I don't. I don't, I don't think I've used antibiotics for about two, three years now. You know, I just yeah. use mushroom complex and herbs and other other yeah. things. So, you know, working with nature just feels like the right way to be going. Um, yeah. And I and I feel very grateful. You know that that I've been able to, um, you know, I mean, in effect, you know, like Red pill myself out the matrix of thinking. You know <laughs> that you have to rely on processed. Um, pet food and pharmaceuticals and I mean they've got their place of course you know but yeah I think I think basically if we can work with nature that's always going to give us the best results in in the long run if we can yeah.
0: yeah. 100% agree and mm. so you had a practice in East Fremantle in um, WA but you no longer have that one. you're consulting in up now is that right?
1: Yeah so I um I worked for the guy who owned these three of that clinic when after after I like when my children were just early primary age and had started primary school Um yep. and he wanted to sell a clinic and I'd already got a niche myself um using natural therapy so I thought oh bummer I'll have to buy the clinic and I didn't <laughs> want to buy <laughs> a clinic you know but I'd sort of been backed into a corner really because I'd already had clients that you know coming for natural therapies. so I bought the clinic and I owned it for 14 years and then in that yep. time you know we had other vets who learned acupuncture and homeopathy and um, we had a chiropractor there and a craniosacral therapist and, you know, all, all sorts. So, um, you know, that was fun, you know, to, to set that up and see how it worked. And then um, in 2004, I just, like, I got to the stage where I didn't need to be in a vet clinic. You know, I was better off if I was only, if I was just using natural therapies, and particularly with acupuncture, which lends itself to having quiet in. Environment, you know, so the animals are yeah. disturbed. So, so I just yep. said, I, my front room of my house um, was, you know, registered as a vet clinic and I'd, it was just a consulting only um, natural <laughs> therapist vet clinic. So, and that's where and, you're and still
0: then, consulting from today.
1: Well, so, and eventually, well, I mean, what happened was my um, our daughter got Lyme disease and she had been married oh. for a few years, but she was just so sick she had, actually came home to to just live with us, and we got yeah. her better over about three years. She got better enough to leave home. Um wow. And then we sort of turned around and thought, mm, you know, spent lots of money on medical bills and, and legal bills because her husband turned out to not be very nice. So um, oh. so we hadn't really paid our mortgage off and we were in our mid-60s. So, and we had a house, our superannuation had bought us a holiday rental in Bailing Up, which is three hours south of Perth, which is a lovely place. It's lovely green rolling yeah. hills. and just oh, apple growing country, um, so so we ju- we just after we'd sold the, the the Perth house, it was like it just wasn't sensible to buy another property and keep working from Perth. So I just thought, oh, just we ain't, you know we just live not pay me up. Um, but it's worked out really well, you know, because there's a there's quite a a lot of the community around here who do want to you know, um work more with natural therapies with their animals and you know, quite a few Maybe organic farmers and it. yeah, so so and and still, you know, as I mean, I set up my clinic um two or three months before COVID started. Um so I did quite a lot of telemedicine, you know, just lent itself with my clients still in Perth. Um so I just morphed into um yeah, practicing down here. So again I've just got a registered um vet consulting room, um, but I don't do normal vet work. So,
0: yeah, yeah, that sounds like mm. the dream.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's excellent. Yeah, I'm so lucky.
0: Yeah, oh, it's really nice to hear someone who's so grateful for you know their life and their choices and what they've got because you know in this day and age it's not not all that common. Mm. So thank you for sharing that. That's really good um, and really interesting mm-hmm. to hear. And so the services that you provide in your um, consulting rooms include homeopathy and herbal medicine, and you also um, provide kinesiology, flower essences, and Reiki. So you're able to mm-hmm. expand a little bit on on you know what therapies you really love to choose for which sort of cases, and do you tend to use them all in combination for every patient and um, just sort of how you, you know, balance all of those different tools that you've got in your belt? I tend
1: to have acupuncture uh, for mobility problems, although I will use it for, you know, cancer treatment or intestinal problems, but it's just because people have to travel back and do three or four treatments in a row over, you know, the first month or so with acupuncture, and if they live a distance away, for example, you know, that is sort of a bit self-limiting. But um, I will use acupuncture for backs and, and hips and lamenesses, um, you know, if, if, yeah. if the client's happy to come back, you know, four times over the first month or so. Um, and But after that, it's excellent because some animals only need one treatment a year or, you know, a couple a year. Yeah. So, um Yeah. So, so I'll probably, you know, more just use acupuncture for mobility. Um, yeah. And... I'm actually a, um I'm a classical homeopath and I am a registered homeopathic practitioner. Um okay. I think there's actually only only three of us vets in Australia who who are arrow registered, you know, along with all the human homeopaths as it would be who treat humans. Um so and I have had some human human patients come, you know, for homeopathy which is fun. Um so, um, oh, so hey. that, yeah so that that's a, a like I really like homeopathy, you know, it's so it's so easy and quick and, you know, just works energetically and um, inexpensive and, yeah, so so I just, um, yeah, it works at a causative level. Um, And I also have Western herbs. I've got lots of Western herbs. I've got lots of Chinese herbs um, and I love herbs as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So see lots of skin problems. I mean, like the rest of us, you know, um, all the normal things. And um, and what about
0: kinesiology and Reiki?
1: So I... um, when the AVA conference was held in Perth in year 2000, I actually got the um, NAET, you know, veterinary kinesiology vets from America to come over and teach a three-day course over the conference week. So there's 30 of us vets in Australia who took that course. Yeah. So we're actually NAET trained in, in kinesiology. So you can both use kinesiology right. to find out um what allergies uh, an animal has, for example. So it's great for checking food allergies. Um, and you can also desensitise um, an animal to an allergy, um, which, which is a bit of a complicated oh, wow. process, but that can be super useful as well. Um, so, that, But I, I do yeah. use kinesiology just to double-check what I've chosen. You know, So if I'm not sure about choosing between two herbs yep. or putting two herbs together, I'll check that kinesiologically and with homeopathics, I'll just double check the remedy and the potency. So it's just it's just really easy to yeah um yeah to just be a bit more sure of what you've chosen yeah. So I do yeah. I, do I must really... admit
0: I don't really know anything about kinesiology. <laughs> it's something that I um I haven't ever experienced myself or really you know heard anyone talk about before. Mm-hmm. So I'm completely um you know in awe of mm-hmm. what you just said. That's a, that's an incredible tool to have.
1: It is. I couldn't imagine practising without it actually. Um, yeah, so it, it's yeah. very useful. I mean there are machines that do that. Some naturopaths have machines to measure all of that, you know, but yeah. well, you might use your own energy field. <laughs> it's a bit quicker yeah, and cheaper. That's right.
0: Yeah, that's invasive, mm. yeah. Amazing. So um, and what about flower essences and Reiki? Are you using those much in your practice?
1: Yeah, so I use raking. If I'm acupuncturing a dog, I normally just put my hands on the dog and rake it as well. So I find mm-hmm. a, a lot of dogs don't like their needles twiddled, you know, um, to c- yeah. keep the energy flowing. You know, so I, yep. I find that just putting the needles in and leaving them there and getting the dog to settle and then put, and, and raking them with my hands is, is a better way of getting the energy to flow when I use acupuncture. And I yep. might use it to settle a dog down that is a bit unsettled that to examine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, the flower, I love flower essences. Yeah, so I've so I've got the English bark flowers. Um, um, I mean, I was a registered um, bark flower lecturer at one stage, and I did one-day courses on learning the bark flower remedies for vets and vet nurses and dog trainers. So I did a few of those. Um, yeah, But lovely. I've also got the the West Australian li- living essences, which are, are based on the the Noongar Aboriginal, that's the Aboriginal, well, um, from in, this area. You know, so they, they, they're they really good. And I've also got Ian White's Australian Bush Flower Essences, which I really like. So I've oh, done all sounds of his really courses. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, Flower Essences get, get chucked in everything. They go in liquid herbs. Um, they, you know, make up a bottle and people can just throw a few drops in the water bowl every day and. Um, Beautiful. Mix, mix them up with homeopathics. Mm. Oh, it
0: sounds all so lovely. Thank you. That's amazing and, gosh, I wish we had, you know, (laughs) you in every state really so everyone could have access because it just sounds like such a gentle, beautiful way to to treat a patient and I'm sure that your patients leave feeling incredibly calm and also their parents as well uh, because it's just such a sort of non-invasive and, and, you know, loving way to treat them.
1: Yeah, it is. I, I feel very grateful, you know, that people are, you know, very happy to have their animals treated this way, and it and they it makes them feel positive. you know, so yeah. they you know like often enjoy the consult and um yeah, yeah so yeah very lucky. To, which is such an important had, part so. of healing mm. as well. Mm. I think it I think it um it often is, yes, yeah, mm. not, um, yeah, so flower essences are are very easy to learn and they're harmless. you know, like if you pick the wrong ones, doesn't it really harm. You know, yeah. so so essence is something everyone can learn, really. Yeah. You know, and they yeah. they um they they're really useful for storm phobic dogs, or you know, loud noise phobic yeah, okay. dogs, or you yeah. know, animals that have had a bad experience and they've built up an association. You know, to like you know, yeah. men with hats or you know, red raincoats, yeah. whatever the case may be. You know, so they they're really good for letting go of those phobias and associations. You know, the animals tend to yeah. build up. Um, moving house. Um. New, new puppies and kittens settling in. Yeah, supporting yeah, yeah. their
0: anxiety, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah just oh, general amazing. anxiety, yeah. Mm.
0: Well, I think we better get into talking about the mm. main focus of today, which is obesity. So a lot of people consider, you know, the obesity epidemic because everyone's sort of not moving as much and eating too much mm. and that's, you know, driving this so obesity crisis that we're all facing. What is mm. your opinion on obesity in pets um do you believe that it's related to their lifestyle their diet um do you have you know do you have an opinion on what we can do about it as practitioners and also for pet parents who are listening that may have pets who are prone to mm. being overweight
1: so <laughs> when when um you guys first contacted me and talked about obesity i i just thought well, I can answer that in two sentences. It's <laughs> <laughs> not going to take forty-five minutes because, like, honestly, if if, if I have um, an animal come here that's on um, you know dried kibble, pet food, yeah, um, you, I mean, often I'll just change them over to a natural diet anyway as part of their treatment. And people yep. will say to me, "But what are we going to do about him being overweight?" And I just say to them, "They'll lose weight without you even trying." Because we've just walked in from dried food to natural diet. Um, So I'm so used to in my world, you know, obesity just ceases to become a problem most of the time, honestly. You know, like I'm not exaggerating. So um, it, and the dried kibble food, you know, it's what, you know, 26 to 30% carbohydrate. Mm. So it's no brainer, you know, (laughs) you just put them onto a fresh natural diet. And yeah so that, and that 's a big so <laughs> that 's a big
0: focus of you is of yours isn 't it and yeah. I know that you 've produced yeah. three books around nutrition and feeding, uh, one for cats, one mm-hmm. for cats and dogs, and then a prescription diet book so i 'd love to hear your mm-hmm. approach it 's something that i 'm really interested in as well, and I completely agree with you i 'd love mm-hmm. to hear your approach to to nutrition and to um, you know preparing Homemade food, or for mm. you know, for those who perhaps don't have the inclination to to do that, how they can recreate uh, a diet that's as similar as possible, but purchasing it commercially, um, you know, without without sort of naming any brands. Sure. But I'd love yeah, to hear your, so, your, your yeah. So, your
1: so I mean, base, it, it's based on what nature intends the the animal to be eating. Um, yeah. You know, but, but of course, you know, we can't go down the supermarket and buy live mice and rats for our cats and um, whatever, you know. So so I just try and base it like – so if someone comes in with, uh, you know, like a Labrador or a Retriever, you know, we we think, you know, like what would that animal be eating in its original environment? So, they, you know, duck, rabbit, you know, is the answer to a lot of breeds of dog. Um You okay. can't buy ra- rabbit and duck that easily in the supermarket, but you can buy – you know, free-range chicken wings and, you know, <laughs> a bit of uh, chicken, room meat, beef, even goat these days. So um, I just try and explain it to the client in a way that, you know, let, let's look at what nature intended this animal to eat and just do it as closely as we can. And nowadays we've got um, the bath, um, you know, d- different brands that you can get from the pet shop freezer. Yeah. So if, they, if they're busy and they don't want to compile themselves, you know, I just do bath and bone. You know, so we do a bone yep. to keep the the teeth clean, um, okay. and and bath is complete and balanced. So, the 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 recipes I've got on my website, you know, there's a basic dog um, template recipe and a basic cat template recipe, and also a puffy one mm-hmm. I think I've got too. Um, so they're they're basically what's in bath. Um, yeah. You know, maybe a couple of things added. So, so you just go to the pet shop freezer. Um, and if i'm treating a skin condition or animal with possible allergies et etc i tend to use as wild quarter meat as i can for example kangaroo yeah which isn't yeah. super expensive and um so so i'd i'd often recommend doing uh kangaroo bath mm-hmm. you know make, making sure it's a brand that um, doesn't have other bits of protein added um yeah so you know, so like, there's a few brands having this big dog bath, and a few others that, if it says it's kangaroo, it just is kangaroo bone, meat, heart, liver, kidney, yeah. and that's all, and it doesn't yeah. have any other protein added apart from maybe fish oil. So, so that they can just go and buy it, and as long as they've got a bit of freezer space at home, you know that 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 works fine. Um, yeah. If they don't want to spend quite as much money and they want to compile it themselves, then then I'll, you know, I'll get them, you know, chewing an appropriate bone. Um, you know, and we do need to match the bone to the dog. I mean, I, I very infrequently suggest using beef bones, um, which are often the ones that vets have seen get, get stuck in dogs Cause and crack problems. and wear their teeth and things like that. So and because most breeds of dog wouldn't kill a cow, you know, it just isn't yeah. appropriate, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, prey-wise. So, so big, I, yeah. I do, yeah, so I've, I often get them chewing the softer, um, more appropriate bones such as chicken wings or turkey necks or turkey wings or um root ales, um you know, and and I found out what they can um, get in their area, what they can afford to buy, what they're happy yeah. handling. Um, and you know just try and individualize it a bit. you know, find out if someone and, in the house does green leaf smoothies. Um, you know sometimes the daughter yeah. does or, you know so yeah. just save them save a tablespoon. that goes from dog' food. Um, uh, okay. if someone, yeah, that's a good Someone idea. does juicing in the house, you know, save your juicing save pulp, the pulp. great dog yeah. food. Yeah. Um if, and all raw veggies, you
0: recommend?
1: Yeah, it's pulped raw, you know, because it needs to resemble the rabbit gut contents, you know, which is it being mm-hmm. well chewed and even even a bit fermented. So um I have, have them either um pulp pulp or blend raw or mm-hmm. do cooked veg, you know, particularly if animals have got inflammatory bowel disease and they need their their part or all of their food mm-hmm. cooked. Yeah. So I do cooked veggies um and green supplement, you know, green powder supplement if we can't have them eating a lot of green otherwise. Yeah. Um, and fish or fish oil. So, so I actually do like canned sardines, mackerel, pilchard as an essential fatty acid supplement, whatever you know, um, brand that they like or do actual fish if they can. You know, when I lived in Fremantle, a lot of people had access to fresh sardines.
0: Um, Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. being on the coast there.
1: Yeah, the things people forget to to put in the natural diet is bone, you know, so they can end up calcium deficient and they forget to put in essential fatty acids, you know, and they're essential. (laughs) That's what they call that. Yeah. yeah, And then something green. And then offal. You know, people don't like offal. So I I talk them through that. So if they really hate handling um, liver, then I do dehydrated liver treats, you know, so. um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: De- dehydrated
1: liver is about a quarter of the weight of fresh liver, you know, so you yep. just have to change that on the in the diet if you want to use that yep. instead. Um, yep. Cats that have to, ha- like, all cats have to have heart if the people are compiling their own diet um, because cats get taurine deficient, you know, if they taurine, don't have heart yeah. or taurine added. So um, dehydrated heart treats are neat if they're not going to oh, eat um, okay. just, just raw, raw heart. Yep. And that can be something that will clean their teeth as well, you know, if they're not bone eaters.
0: Yeah, sure. Mm. And so without, you know, if they're having bones and they're having everything that you've just mentioned, you don't need to generally give them a vitamin or mineral topper, like a calcium phosphorus supplement or anything like that. You'd find that it's completely balanced.
1: Yeah. So, you know, that like the body knows how to handle calcium-containing foods. You don't have to get mm. sort of retentive about doing the Calphos balance if you're actually using foods that contain calcium, it's only if you're feeding um, an artificial additive that you've got to sit down and work it out really carefully. Um, yeah. So the, the NRC um, nutrition guidelines, which I use because they're less sort of biased towards um, processed pet food, um yeah. the U- USA one, they, they say that you could have up to 50% of a dog's diet bone, raw bone, but oh it, wow. But it, it but but if it causes constipation or it causes digestion problems, then you have to lower it. You know, but it's yeah. just you don't you don't want to go below about nine or ten percent of the diet bone, otherwise you'll get calcium deficiency, but ten percent or more up to fifty percent if the right. body works it out, you know, doesn't yep. it's fine. Don't have to do the math.
0: Yeah, interesting. Mm. And so obviously you haven't mentioned any grains, so you're not doing any, you know, rice or quinoa or anything like that typically.
1: Generally not, you know, because my physiology textbook that I bought when I was a student and I've still got <laughs> open it yeah. up, says, says don't give dogs and cats more than 5% carbohydrate in their diet, yeah. otherwise it reduces hepatic gluconeogenesis, you know, so the liver's not um, processing out toxic chemicals from the body, it's not making the immune system work as well as it should, all the things that livers do. So, so, um, you know, that one of the big problems with um Processed dried kibble food is, as you know, I said before, it's 25 to 30 percent carbohydrate. So mm-hmm. it's not, you know, my physiology textbook says five percent is plenty, and that's my yeah. observation, you know. So, yeah. and you can easily get five percent carb if you're feeding you know, a bit of
0: sweet potato and carrot and, yeah, you know, a few other veggies. So, yeah. Okay. And so um, your, if you had, a, a you know, an animal present with obesity as their main complaint, your mm. approach would simply be to change their diet if it wasn't already, you know, a real food diet already. And any other approaches that you would take? Is there any, um, you know, other therapies that you would be utilising, any herbs, any particular exercise recommendations?
1: So – um. I mean, I like exercise is important, you know. Um, yeah, so I would I would talk through that, and I'd also wonder, particularly with dogs, if they could possibly be hypothyroid, you know. So I I may yeah. check that out. Um, yeah. So, um, but if you know, like the also as well as you know, I'm, I'm sorry to be a a, a dry pet food Nazi, which <laughs> I'm sure a lot <laughs> okay. of people have accused me of being. But, I mean, not only is it the high-carbohydrate percentage in kibble-dried food that isn't useful, um, it's inflammatory. You know, so there are actually um, quite a lot of toxic chemicals formed, there's acrylamide compounds and, and other inflammatory compounds that are caused in simply in the process of making extruded yeah. kibble pet food, you know, regardless of the ingredients. You know, yeah. so it doesn't matter what brand – really you know it's it's the fact that it's extruded kibble dried food that makes it inflammatory which which increases obesity yeah because you just got more inflammation in the body
0: yeah Um, absolutely
1: you know even if it's made of organic ingredients it's going to end up with um inflammatory chemicals which are also carcinogenic yeah you know yeah yeah so so it's just not you know not terribly good for dogs
0: yeah no absolutely and um I, I tend to I mean, agree with
1: you. Yeah. yeah, I mean the biggest problem I have um, is that animals don't hold enough weight on a natural diet. You know, people will say, oh, oh he's, right. he's, got, he's really skinny, you know, since he went on a natural diet. So yeah. So then I'd just say, okay, feed 10% more, you know, that can help. Yeah. Or or use a fattier meat, you know, so I'd go, and I know yep. this is the opposite to what you asked me to talk about, you know, but um, so I'd I'd use maybe um, lamb is nice and fatty, kangaroo is yep. quite lean, you know so so if you uh, use fat because fat is about has like four times the calorific amount of carbohydrate, so you can quite quickly change a dog's weight using fat and that's what you should yep. be anyway, yeah, because it it's, it's ketogenic and it's better for them you know to to have fat instead yeah. of carbohydrate as their, as the um, calories.
0: Um, so, Something that's just a question that's just popped into my mind, um, and I'm pretty sure I would have maybe been, you know, had this drummed into me at vet school, and particularly after graduating as well, is that there tends to be a bit of a fear of giving dietary fats to dogs in particular, um, because of perhaps you know their GI system not being able to handle it, or their you know the pressure that it puts on the pancreas, so. Is that a complete misconception in your mind for, you know, for non-pancreatitis-prone pets, yeah, So for
1: a start, um, fat or oil that's liquid at room temperature pretty well doesn't cause pancreatitis. You know, so if you put mm-hmm. um, um, fish oil or if you use a bit of olive oil as an auxiliary oil, you know, then oil basically, in an, just anywhere near a normal amount, isn't going to cause pancreatitis. I mean, there's, it's not, not all fats that do. And, mm-hmm. and raw animal fat, again, in a reasonable amount, um, doesn't cause pancreatitis. I mean, cooked yep. fat does. You know, if you, okay. if, you have, if you have barbecue and everyone saves their steak rind at the end and gives it yeah. to the dog, you know, dog ends Yeah, up or the pork the skin or something. Yeah. So it's cooked fat that's the problem. Okay. Um, and also and a heap heap more raw fat than the dogs used to. You know, so yeah, but if okay. but if you if you routinely feed lamb in a bath recipe and it's raw and it's not excessive, then you know, it's fine, that's what dogs eat.
0: Yeah.
1: Um yeah. I mean I see a, a lot of dogs get pancreatitis from being anxious. I'd say that's quite oh, a, really? a a major cause. Yeah. Because when the adrenal glands pump out adrenaline, cuts the blood splash the upper gut. You know, mm. to, so the blood goes into the leg, so you can run away from the woolly mammoth. Yeah, so
0: that's
1: interesting. So, uh, I'd never heard that know, and, before. And cortisone, you know, just iatrogenic um, yeah. cortisone yeah. Um, is a major cause as well.
0: So, yeah, so I just
1: and and if you if you use digestive enzymes in a meal to digest the food, you you'd almost completely going to prevent pancreatitis occurring. Because you, okay. take, you take the you take the weight or you know the job away from the take pancreas. Take the pressure off. yeah, yeah, that's right. It just makes it easy. Um, and I really haven't seen any research to show that pancreatic enzymes are harmful. You know, I don't think it mm-hmm. makes the pancreas lazy. I just think it digests the food really well, which is what you want. Yep. Um, so so. So right. is that something it that you routinely
0: it? recommend? yeah yeah so if i get a, if dubs? I get a
1: dog coming in that's um got pancreatitis and the people don't know what to feed it next um then then i'll I'll automatically put them on digestive enzymes, I'll treat anxiety if it's there um and I'll you know go through what medication they're on uh, I mean normally the vets taking them off the pred anyway if um yeah so yeah so and and I do not you know I've just got heaps of dogs that have done fine after that.
0: And, um, and what about those patients who may have, um, you know, IBS or even IBD? Do you tend to limit the fat in those patients or are you just being careful with the type of fat there?
1: So... Uh, I mean, uh, if, if the meat is cooked, I make sure it's lean. That's important, you know, because we don't yep. want the cooked fat. So, so um, I mean, kangaroo meat would be a good one except it smells yeah. when you cook it, which is, So, you know, <laughs> like a, a nice lean grass-fed beef, you know, would probably be the choice. Yeah. Because yep. beef, beef and chicken are cheatonics in Chinese medicine, so chicken and beef, if they didn't have chemicals of agriculture and, and weren't fatty, you know, would actually be good choices for, um, an IBD dog, yeah, um, and fish, you know, uh, white fish is a good one if you can get it, Whitefish, and the dog yeah. likes it. Um, so, so that yes, I would do cooked, cooked meat and veg and offal. But if you're going to cook yep. offal, you need to keep the juice. You know, like the, the juice from the heart um, is really useful. In, and don't overcook it. Um, okay. And um, I use eggshell powder um, if the dog can't handle raw bone.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: So so, so I get him. people to yeah. get eggshells and um, keep them in the fridge for a few days um, yep. and then you just turn the oven on at 180 degrees. You put the eggshells on a dry baking tray with the cut sides up and you just put it yep. in the oven for 15 minutes, take it out, cool them down, put them in a NutriBullet and, and buzz them into a powder and you can fit them in the freezer or the fridge. Um, so you'd use half a teaspoon per 15 kilos body weight will supply the calcium yep. requirement um, for that dog oh. without eating bone. You know, so, yeah, if, so right. if all the food's cooked, you know, I'd use eggshell powder. And most people um, do use eggs, you know, so they have eggshells in the house. Or you can buy um, seaweed calcium powder or coral calcium powder from mm-hmm. naturopathic supplies. You know, that that's a good one too. And it has way, way more mineral in um, than just the, Boring old calcium diphosphate powder. Yeah, because it's
0: a, which you a don't know where source. it's been.
1: You know, like those powders, they could be from, you know, that you know, really horribly chemical animals from farm
0: production. You know, so I don't. Yeah, so I prefer to
1: have have
0: the clean one. To know ones. where it's from. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and cats with obesity, exactly the same approach with you know, just really focusing on their nutrition and the rest of it should fall into place.
1: Yeah, I mean especially cats because cats are even more. You know, paleo keto animals and dogs are, you know, so they really just aren't built to have a lot of carbohydrate. Yeah. You know, they aren't as big of eaters, and you know, you can you can use a lean type of meat, but I I don't find that's usually necessary. You know, again, Mm -hmm. if you can just stop the dried food and make sure that their fresh food diet's balanced and partly cooked, if that suits them better as well, um, yeah, they just lose weight without even trying.
0: Yeah, so, seems you know, so if so I normally expect
1: them to lose weight without it within a month, um, you know, if so I make one month a benchmark, you know, to to weigh them or you know re- reassess, um, and the best way to to tell if an animal's overweight, I find, is just try and count the ribs. You know, just just feel along their rib cage, and if you can count six ribs, you know, they're normally just right. If you can't count many ribs. If you can only count two or three ribs then they're overweight. Yeah. And if you can count more than six ribs, then they're usually underweight. And I just find that a really good
0: that's really um, good, yeah.
1: Measure, you know, measure of thumb, you know, to to work out. And people just find that easy to do. And they yeah. don't have to, you know, get the animal on the scales or, or go back to the vet yeah. and put them on the scales or yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I like that. That's yeah. really simple yeah. and straightforward for people. That's really good. Um and yeah. in terms of uh, I just had two more questions because I know that we're we're sort of getting close to time. But um, my first question is acceptance um, of pets, particularly cats, who are used to being fed a dry food diet, transitioning them into a, onto a real food, real food diet. Do you tend to have those fussy ones struggle with that? And do you have any tips around you know how to encourage? The transition to Yeah, recently. so
1: that is a, a big one because cats particularly when they're, whatever food they're given when they're weaned from their mother, mm. they think that's what food is. You know, so if they've been yeah. given dried food straight away after they're weaned, you know, then they it's just fixed in their brain. You know, they think that food just has to look like that. So it can be difficult, but just doing a little bit and adding slowly, slowly, more and more as the weeks go by can often do the trick. Um, yeah. So, um, usually, I usually, I mean, I had a client uh, yesterday actually, and, and, she, and it had a urinary tract problem and it needed to not be on dried food anymore, you know, so yeah. it didn't get blocked up. Yeah. Um, and she said, but it won't eat anything. And I just said, is there anything at all that he likes? And, and, and I said, does he like egg? And she said, oh, yeah, when I have scrambled egg, he has some of that. And I said, okay, <laughs> Monday morning, meal is scrambled eggs.
0: Yeah. <laughs> does he like yeah. grated
1: cheese? Oh, yeah, he likes cheese. Okay. Monday. Yeah, just slack, slowly. slowly. Did he like yeah. canned can sardines? Oh, no, but he loves canned salmon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tuesday morning, it's canned salmon. So, And we did, and he liked dried liver treats, and um, he liked one particular sachet brand, um, but he wouldn't eat it more than once. So it's like, okay, you feed it. Once a week or twice a week, but no more than that. So and by the yeah. and, and we worked out a um, a freeze dried raw raw meal, you know, which which is the yeah. next best after raw if they really aren't going to eat raw, you know. So yeah. some of those um, freeze dried meals are actually quite neat that you just reconstitute. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so we actually patched together fourteen meals a week, you know, from just working out yeah. what he liked.
0: Yeah.
1: That's um, great. Yeah.
0: That's 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 really good. You got you got to work with them, don't you? You can't just you yeah. can't just force yeah. these changes on them, particularly those cats.
1: Yeah, and rule number one, don't leave food out, don't ad lib feed. You know, because as soon as yeah. you um you you start meal feeding, they actually get hungry for the first time yep. in their life. You get know, an and appetite. then they might start eating yep. things that they didn't eat before. You know, yeah. cuz if they're nibbling on high-carbohydrate biscuits all day, they're probably yeah. never really hungry, you know, they're and they're really not even going to bother eating, trying yeah, different things. Yeah, that's so
0: true, and
1: yeah. Yeah, so straight away you go from ad-lib feeding to meal feeding, and then, and yep. then you know, a, another world <laughs> will open up, yeah. you know, where they actually do consider eating other things.
0: Yeah. And my other question was around um, compliance of the pet parent and how, um, you know, how you might convince some of those people who don't like handling awful and, you know, can't imagine doing all these things. Um, but do want to cook a home, you know, make a home cooked diet? Mm. Do you sort of just start with, you know, meats that they're familiar with that they might have themselves, and then slowly add mm. in all of the bit more scary things?
1: Yeah, I'm, I I always start with what does the animal like? What are you happy feeding? You know, because I like if people yeah. are a vegetarian, you know, like I'm, I'm not going to have them handling sloppy liveries that they don't like it. Yeah. You know, it's like a, yeah. it, You know, the it's whole process has stretch. got to work for everyone. So, so I I do use quite a bit of dehydrated liver, well, awful treats. I I have I have kangaroo liver, kangaroo heart, and kangaroo kidney dehydrated treats in my yeah. practice. Yeah. You know, so yep. and and the heart is particularly good for cats. You know, because they yep. have to have the heart. They need the taurine. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: yeah, and and sometimes yeah. they they're good enough to clean their teeth if they're not eating bone as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No. That I mean, most people are happy feeding. Any sort of dehydrated, anything really. So that seems like a really good compromise. Mm. Amazing. Well, I don't want to keep you for too much longer, Claire, because I know that you've probably got some patients waiting. But is there anything else that you would like to share with us today, or on anything at all related to what we've talked about, or or any other aspect of your work? Oh, yeah. I think
1: we've covered. I mean, I have got in my second book, which is called Natural Prescription Diets for Dogs and Cats. I have got Mm. a weight loss. Um, for obesity diet and it, okay. so that, that 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 book is um i've actually based it on traditional chinese medical food therapy you know which i've oh, got in. so so yeah. it, it the the foods in it not only are they like high fiber and low carbohydrate but they're also what's called damp draining which is what being fat is in chinese medicine
0: yeah you know yeah. so i've got
1: a weight loss damp draining diet so you know it has things in like spinach and um pumpkin and red cabbage and parsley and you know so i've actually compiled a diet for weight loss um if people you know like want to follow a specific diet and good old spinach you know like spinach just has got <laughs> almost every vitamin and mineral known to man and dog um, yeah. <laughs> and 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 it's a it's a great weight loss um vegetable and it's easy to grow as well you know yeah so, it so, is. so, it, it, parsley and spinach—it would have to be the easiest things to grow, and they can last for two yeah. or three years in the garden. So, it's like yeah. they're, they're, they're you know, they're they're good ones to get people growing and using. Yeah,
0: yeah, and spinach doesn't really have that strong a taste. I mean, you can really disguise it and know, almost anything right, for those more fussy ones. Yeah,
1: I remember when I first graduated as a vet, my boss said, um, "If animals have to lose weight, you just feed them on cooked spinach for a couple of weeks." <laughs> And I mean, it sounded really, really um, like I was a gas. but I can see the logic of it now. Yeah. And then he said, yeah. and, he said and after that, you just chuck in a third of their diets to spin, cook spinach after that, you know, to maintain the weight loss. And yeah. that, that really just, you know, it wasn't too silly an idea, actually. I mean, he didn't know no. why, he just worked it out, but it worked. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I'm just imagining some of those poor dogs that are suddenly given a bowl of spinach instead of their normal food.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, and I wouldn't do that, but it's like it's, a, it's <laughs> it, you know, like it, it's it's quite a neat example of what. Yeah, of work. It is. <laughs> yeah,
0: so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just going really, you know, really back to basics. Oh, mm-hmm. great! Well, it's mm-hmm. been so nice chatting with you today. Um, I feel really, you know, really privileged to to have such a you know an influential. Um, member of our you know veterinary profession speak to us so thank you very much for devoting your time. It's been it's been wonderful.
1: Pleasure. No thanks for thinking of me here.
0: This was the Pure Animal Podcast and I'm Dr. Sarah Howitt. If you enjoyed our chat with Dr. Claire Middle today please feel free to jump onto iTunes and give us a rating and review.